0: With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season,
2: this is Football Social Daily.
0: This is Football Social Daily. How the devil are you? I'm Jim and we're finishing off the week with the latest Premier League news and views. As we do every single day of the Premier League season, click follow wherever you're listening to podcasts and you'll get a new show every day. Today, well, Arsenal did one of the most un-Arsenal things ever last night. Granite Jacker was sent off on the 24th minute in their Caribou Cup first leg versus Liverpool. Obviously, that's not the shocking bit. The shocking bit is they showed grit and unity to hang on for a nil-nil draw. Is this a turning point for the Gunners under Mikel Arteta or just a damning indictment of how toothless Liverpool are without their African duo of Solar and Mane? There's also some Friday night football tonight in the Premier League. Note to all fancy football managers, get your changes in before the deadline. It's the weirdest derby match of all weird derby matches. It's Brighton and Albion versus Crystal Palace. Two clubs looking to change their styles and their fortunes. But who's going to come out on top in that one? And there is more trouble brewing at Manchester United with an explosive interview from superstar striker Cristiano Ronaldo. He's laid into his Manchester United teammates, particularly the young ones, but is the Portuguese the problem or the solution at uh, Old Trafford? We'll try to answer that one shortly as well. To do all that, we've got Joel Tudor, who will be one of the people trying to work out what's going on at his club on today's podcast, whilst Marley Anderson is probably just grateful not to have to talk about various Newcastle United transfer rumours on today's podcast for a change. How are we doing, boys? Yeah, all good. Um, don't know who's who's next on the list, but I'm quite glad we're not we're not talking
2: about Newcastle transfers as you say on today's podcast because I've lost count. I've I've filled 17 scrapbooks with with all the names that we're linked with and <laughs> got a little uh, got a little spreadsheet going on Excel now. So uh, yeah, it's quite bored of uh, bored of the
0: the paper talk coming out of us. We're not going to talk about it, but I've just I have got a list of all the players being linked with Newcastle United in the newspapers today. They include Todd Cantwell from Norwich City, uh, Fiorentina striker, Calcio Mercato, in Italian publication linking Todd Cantwell, yeah, a Norwich player, no sense, with Newcastle United.
2: Why? This is if that doesn't scream we've just got a public we've just got to keep publishing
0: things. Then I don't know what does. Nikola Mikenevic from Fiorentina, who I really like actually, he's being linked in the Sun. Sky Sports are linking Diego Carlos from Sevilla. Uh, Donny van der Beek apparently is being linked with a move to Newcastle as well. So there's already plenty of rumours of who might be going to Newcastle, none of which we'll discuss on today's podcast. We are going to talk about Manchester United, though. Let's talk Ronnie and the Reds, because Ronaldo has been slagging off his teammates. He said in an interview in Sky Sports that the young players in the current Manchester United team refuse to take his advice, don't listen to the manager, and don't work hard enough in the gym or at training. First off, before I come to you, Joel, because it's your club, Manchester United, I want to hear from Marley, who maybe has a slightly more objective view of Ronaldo here. Are you surprised by his comments, Marley? Or are you surprised by the attitude of certain players at Manchester United, if his comments are to be believed? Um, I was a bit surprised. But what he's saying is not
2: really revolutionary, is it? Like yeah you, you know the, he's basically saying you have to have a better work rate if you're going to succeed and you're going to um get to the top and do what I've done in the game and he he has a point with with all of what he's saying like we've all heard the stories um coming from Alex Ferguson and former teammates Rio Ferdinand Roy Keane Paul Scholes all these players about Ronaldo as an 18 year old you know he came to an 18 year old uh, to man united as an 18 year old skinny um, full of tricks, but didn't have the physicality and and had potential. He was just raw potential. But the thing that set him apart is, is is his work rate. He's in um, there's a story about Alex Ferguson banning him from going out and taking free kicks and and shooting practice after after training because it was wet um, and he didn't want him to, um, like, put a, turn an ankle or slip or something or do some damage. So he ended up getting uh, getting a pair of Astro turf trainers on. And going inside and doing it instead, and it's that kind of mentality. And then Ferguson just said, "Well, he had me then. It was checkmate." I, you know, I said he couldn't go outside, so he did it inside. But that just summed up his his mentality, and that's why he's got to the the top of the game. Like, I don't think Cristiano Ronaldo's a more talented footballer than a lot of other players from years gone by. But his work rate is second to none. His work rate is well past. Anybody that's that's had that's also had potential. You think of all the players that haven't produced their full potential over the years, and it's not even worth starting because you'll be here till tomorrow talking about it. But Ronaldo's work rate and dedication to the game, no matter how much money he was on, no matter what uh, club he was at, no matter what sort of status he had in the game, he's always been um, sort of uh, the, the hardest worker in the room, the hardest, the the biggest gym rat always there. And you see him at 30, 36, 37, he still looks like a friggin' middleweight boxer. Like he's, he's shredded. He hasn't got an ounce of
0: fat on him. And that's why he's so good at such a high level so late in his career. How do you feel about these comments, Joel? Because this is your club. And I think it's easy to see there's probably some truth in what he's saying. But at the same time, Ronaldo is the kind of person who you're never going to be able to impress him in the gym. As Marley says, he works hard. He's like, he is going to be there longer and later than anyone else. So he's setting the bar really high but it does suggest there are still problems at Manchester United and maybe the players aren't taking enough pride in what they're doing and what they're achieving for a club like Manchester United, I guess.
1: I think there's a massive difference which has become quite clear in recent months just judging by all of the different comments and that's Ronaldo's obsessed with winning as in his whole world, his life revolves around making sure that he wins. Whereas I think too many people in this United side, they just like the idea of winning. I don't think they're ready to risk everything to put their bodies on the line to actually follow how Ronaldo has done. I mean, the comments are pretty spot on with what he was saying. I don't know how anyone can even have much things to say wrong about it. He's won over 30 trophies in his career. He's got like five Ballon d'Ors. He'll go down as one of the greatest players of all time. And if he's questioning mentality, I think... You know the, the the quotes he did were a little bit manipulated because he did say at the end, it's not in relation to anyone at our club. But I guarantee that was a bit of a subtle kick up the backside to say the standards are dropping. And I'm sure that when he's gone back to the club, which is which 12 years on from when he actually left, I bet he got the biggest culture shock of his life because he's used to, at every single club he's been at, including United at the start, The relentlessness and the obsession to just constantly challenge every single year and now suddenly he finds himself being asked the question of, is being outside the top three enough for you? I bet it's it's like a punch in the face because his career has been predicated on just trying to go for the top spot. Um and I just I'm I'm really confused when people give this Ronaldo is the problem. Ronaldo is the person who you should be listening to in terms of a mentality thing. The guys as Marley said, I don't think there's much more of a harder worker, someone who looks after his body more and craves to win more than this guy. Um and how you can question someone who's, you know, pretty much a relentless winner, which is rare in football. And I think the big problem is and we've seen it all throughout football, is just the fact that all these young players, not all of them, a good majority of them, they're getting multi-million pound contracts aged 20. And pr- I struggle to understand where you then get your motivation from for a lot of them. Because money aside, once you've earned a certain threshold of money, surely then you need to look towards the football side and think, okay, what do I want to do in this game? Whereas obviously when Ronaldo was starting out, sure he was on a decent amount but obviously it wasn't enough but the the obsession with winning was the main factor in his career and I think with his comments I think it's just a massive um, it's a subtle dig to say that you haven't got everything figured out when you're young and to listen to people who have done it all, if I was a young player at United I'd be like Herrera on Hazard that game where he was shadow marking him and I'd be watching absolutely everything he does and won't let him (laughs) out of my sight Anything he says, like he's a mentor for the best, like he's he's one of the best players ever. I don't understand how you couldn't ignore that and it's 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 shocking.
2: Do you know what I think though, Joel, like you know you mentioned that, but I think what he's what he's kinda of getting at with his points is players don't players aren't thinking like him. Like nobody told him you've gotta go and work hard at Man United. Yeah. You know when he got there? He he it was it was self- motivated it was it was it came from within i want to be the best player in the world you know i don't think kids coming through the academies now they don't they don't always think that because they don't always work hard you enough know to what get know. to 23 and they, they go christ i'm 150 and you know around what? the week you know
0: this is good and they start i think part of it is a generational difference between his generation it and is. the young generation and it's something we see every day in everyday life and every walk of life that it's just potentially for some of the young generation the work ethic isn't there like it has been for the generations that have moved through I don't think anyway but from Ronaldo's point of view we do see young players at other clubs who do seem to be working hard and United seem to have a particular problem right now with the drop-off of talented youngsters not achieving what they've promised to do and you think of Marcus Rashford's form at the moment now he seems like a very committed footballer but you can't question he's not the player he was two seasons ago. Jaden Sancho, who has come from Germany, paid a huge amount of money for Manchester United, high hopes, he's just not performed at the same level. So is there a particular problem at Manchester United? Potentially in the way these young players are being treated? They're not being read the right act. They're not being forced to go above and beyond and show the commitment that is required from a professional footballer at a club like Manchester United?
1: Well I just think that it's like I said at the start and I don't think there's I don't think there's a huge amount wrong because let's say, if you look at all of sports combined, you look at Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Muhammad Ali, all these greats. All these guys have got similarities, which is that they're obsessed in terms of they wanted to be the best. And I I think a lot of players, I bet if you asked a lot of young players, do you want to be the best in the world? They would say it, but I don't think they would believe it or their actions won't match what they're actually doing. Whereas, like Marley said, Ronaldo at 18, he knew what he wanted, which was to be like one of the greatest ever. I don't think many young players have that dream anymore. I think it's more a case of just they've earned so much money already. They want to just have a good career, win some trophies, um, or they kind of accept that they're not going to make it to that stage quite early on. But I just think that it's... It's quite shocking the fact, and I bet Ronaldo, I bet it's hard. And I think this is why so many great players when they retire, they can never be great managers because it's like a shock to the system that players don't do what they do. Because I bet it comes so natural to Ronaldo to come in every day, earlier than everyone, later than everyone. He's practising his shooting, even though he scored over 700 goals in his career, he still wants more. And I bet he looks at some of the younger players who aren't staying longer than he is or aren't pushing more weights than he is and thinking this should be the norm. This this is the mentality to, make, to be a great player in the game. So I bet it's hard for him to accept, but I'm, I'm sure And I if, if no young United players watched that interview and it didn't give them a bit of a shock, I would be... I'd be surprised because I think over the last years under Oli, as as a nicer guy he is and whatever, I think they've got away with way too much. And I think it's testament to the fact that we've had so many kind of dictatorial managers in terms of Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho who still couldn't get a tune out of them pretty much. And they're very they're very strict managers who know exactly what they want. And I think that it's just been a bit of an identity crisis at the club. They just don't know who they are anymore. Um, And I think, as I mentioned in another podcast, the days of attacking wingers and winning mentality is gone. You need to create something new again now. It needs to be started from the ground. And I'm sure that's why Ronaldo is just so baffled because it is long gone. The team that he was in and the culture that he was in is long gone. But every single part of his career has been about winning. Yet right now... It pro- it doesn't seem to be the case. Final comment
0: on this, Marley. I mean, it's interesting what Joel says that he kind of distanced these comments from Manchester United at the end of his interview. I hadn't heard that. All the reporting around this is Ronaldo has said this about his teammates, which is an interesting. Comment on the way yeah, the it, British press it's not direct, stuff. is it? Yeah, no. Yeah. But was he right to make these comments? Because we know there's a divided dressing room at Old Trafford. The Luke Shaw interview a few weeks ago pretty much spelt that out. And surely these kind of comments from a senior member of that team is only going to increase that divide. So is Ronaldo just adding to the problems at Old Trafford at the moment?
2: Um, the next few weeks may, may sort of give us a clue with that. I think. He might add to them, but he's not trying to add to them. He's trying to improve them. Um, he's. I've, I still feel like this is more. Look, he's he's doing he, like all these comments are coming from a good place. He's saying I've I've done this. He's not saying I've done this and that's why I'm better than everyone. He's saying like I've done this and I got to the top. So why can't other people do it? Like he's not saying I'm more talented than anyone. It's just that I worked harder because. That's why. That's how I got to where I am. That's why I'm 36, still scoring goals and still worth loads of money and what have you. So I don't know if it'll help or hinder, but I would. I am a little bit wary of how the press have spun it because I don't think at any point he really he mentioned Man United too much. Um, he is talking about young players in general rather than anything. But obviously because he's um, because he plays for Man United, then. Uh, you know the the press are always going to say, well, he's having a go at Rashford and Greenwood and Sancho and all the rest of it. But um, it, like I say, it comes from a good place, so I, th- I think there's no harm intended. However, sometimes in football, like things can go either way. Like you can do one thing at one club, and you can do the exact same at another club, and it might affect one, and it might not. It might uh, ruin the the dressing room mood in another. So, well, I just have to wait and see. But until they get there. I think the main thing at Man United at the minute is the tactics, trying to pile every attacking player on the pitch and and not controlling games. So I don't know whether that
0: comes from um, a, a training ground, work ethic angle or not. Well, as you say, we'll have to wait and see what impact his comments have. Will it motivate Manchester United's players? They play Aston Villa this Saturday in the Premier League. And that's one of the games being discussed on the dugout. Our weekend preview show, which is Nile today talking to matt jarvis once of my team west ham and sol bamber as well that pair on the dugout later today that show will be available right i've got a quick pop quiz for you boys before we move on how many times has granite zaka been sorry how many cards has granite zaka got during his (laughs) arsenal career as many as i've had hot meals (laughs) (laughs) what yellow and red cards Yellow and red cards together. Oh, my word. Uh,
1: 82. It's got to be at least 15. Uh, was it 15, Joel? Are you talking just this like, in the last couple of seasons? Or in his whole Arsenal career?
0: No, in his in his career. So he's been there, what? He's been at Arsenal. Oh, his whole career. Five years, I reckon he's been at Arsenal. Maybe four? Uh 35. 35. He has had five red cards and 55 yellow cards. 60 in total. 55. It's not a bad guess you admire. I went that far off. You could open your own brand of Clintons with that many cards, couldn't you? So he's certainly been (laughs) labelled a liability by a fair few Arsenal fans, but it didn't do him any damage last night. He was sent off in the 24th minute and still Arsenal managed a 0-0 draw against Liverpool in the Carabao Cup. Semi-final first leg. We'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily.
2: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
0: Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're talking the Carabao Cup next. Liverpool 0 Arsenal 0. The big talking point from that game was Granit Xhaka sent off in the 24th minute. And at that point, I fully expected, as I think most people probably did, Arsenal to crumble. So, Marley, fair play to them for hanging on in this one? Uh, Yeah, I think...
2: um, when you go down to the ten men after less than half an hour against Liverpool away from home in a cup semi-final, you know you've, to say the least you've got your work cut out. Um, I think they were they were fairly. I mean, they rode the luck a little bit. They made a couple of mistakes, and and Liverpool could have won the game, but poor finishing and and uh, the odd bit of bit of decent defending was. Um, was enough, really? I think Liverpool had eighty percent possession, which was, you know, they probably would have had at least sixty-five, seventy with eleven men on the pitch for Arsenal. But with ten, I think it just became a case of uh, of hanging on for Arsenal and and seeing what happens in the second leg at the Emirates when when that uh, when that game is is played. So, but I mean, even saying that they could have won it through uh, Saka. I mean, they had a chance, pretty much the only shot on goal they had, really. Um, Saka made a good run, but his, t- his touch was a bit poor, and Allison saved the uh, the effort. But they could have won it, and yeah, I just think with Liverpool let them off the hook big time. I think like Minamino's chance was massive. Um, the one where Henderson beat Ramsdale to the ball was was uh, sorry, charged his his shot down and beat him to it. I thought that could have went yeah, you know, that could have went anywhere that that effort as well. So. I think Liverpool will be disappointed to to not kill Arsenal off in that first leg because they had the chances too, and they had the enough of the game to to force something. Um, but I think the lack of cutting edge through Salah was uh, Salah's absence was was key and, and telling to be honest.
0: Would you argue that Zaka made the right choice in his challenge that saw him get sent off because he was sent off for denying a goal scoring opportunity that in all likelihood would have resulted in a Liverpool goal but given how the game panned out and it was a nil nil you could say potentially as reckless as it felt on the 24th minute it was the right decision yeah almost because i mean i i was playing uh,
2: seven aside last night so I, when i came back and got in the car i looked at the looked at the um the scores and it said sent off after 24 minutes and i was like well that's them that knackered because there's no way they know where no they're gonna hold on, and also like, what's Xhaka doing? Like, it, it was a straight red card. So I thought he's oh he's decked someone and he's he's absolutely chopped someone. And then I seen the highlights, <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's actually the most sort of not un- almost unlucky red card because it's a genuine attempt at the ball. Um, he's trying to 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 get the ball, but ultimately, if you take someone down just outside the area when they've got a goal scoring opportunity, it is it is a red card. So it's probably the most. Like acceptable red card he's ever got in his career, I would probably say. So, yeah, he had to make the challenge because I think Jota's gonna score if uh, if he doesn't make the challenge. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's one of them where if you go one nil down at Anfield as well, like you're gonna have to chase the game more to try and get back into it, and they're probably gonna pick you off. So, so keeping it at nil nil, you know, if if you could have guaranteed it ended nil nil when he when he made that lunge for the ball. You'd obviously 100% take it if you're an Arsenal fan,
0: so they got away with it in the end. Mikel Arteta used some words after the game, I think, that have never been used in the same sentence as Arsenal Football Club before. He said his team showed fight, determination and brotherhood to walk away with a 0-0, qualities that have definitely not been associated with Arsenal this season. Do you reckon this could be a bit of a galvanising point, Joel? Kind of a proof to the players that they can play with this unity and this grit that maybe they do lack at times.
1: Uh, no,
0: um,
1: <laughs> I, I, I th- on it, well, you just have to look to last week when they got battered by Not- uh, Nottingham Forest to give you your answer. I mean, yeah, you can give like, you can give credit to Arsenal. Obviously, they held on at Anfield, blah 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 blah. But I mean. Liverpool were toothless. And the reason they were toothless is because they, they lost their two main guys who usually get them out, who usually kill games like that off very quickly. I mean, when you're seen that Minamino uh, miss, which was an open net, Mane and Salah are scoring them in the sleep and they would have probably ended up knocking the goals in like dominoes after that, if that goes in. So, you know, fair play to Arsenal. They managed to hang on in a game which usually they would have collapsed. I mean, I, I have to admit that After I saw Xhaka's early red card, I was thinking, here we go again, same old Arsenal. But then on the flip side, I mean, Liverpool's team, and I think it's quite a scary vision for Liverpool going forward because without Mane and Salah, they are very, very toothless. And going into the future in terms of replacing them is going to be a ridiculous task. But I don't think they can be replaced because they all just worked on harmony so well in terms of fitting in with Klopp's system so I think going forward they're gonna have to do some really deep deep lying recruitment to try and fit the right character and mold because I really don't I couldn't even name a player that could even slot into those shoes but yeah in terms of Arsenal I mean we see it every single season sometimes they get like a good away draw sometimes they get like a they play well against the bigger side, but they just don't go that one step further that I'm waiting for. Because this season, they've pretty much, they've done they've been very consistent in terms of beating off you know the mid-table sides. But then obviously, when it comes to the business end sides, the ones who have got some quality about them, they just seem to, to be fair, they played well against Manchester City a couple of weeks ago, but again, they missed out. And at the end of the day, it's about winning and taking your chances in these games, and they just don't seem to do it. Um, so I'm still waiting on that and I still think there's a need for a kind of mental cultural shift because I remember under Arsene Wenger they got that 2-0 away victory at Manchester City years ago after constantly get I think they went on a huge run of not being able to beat a top four side away from home for years and that was the first time but then after that they ended up getting battered by like Chelsea 6-0 so you just it's one step forward two steps back and it's always Always the bridesmaid, never the bride with Arsenal. I stand by that. Um, and if if Liverpool's side was a fully-strength side with you know, Salah and Mane and whoever else was missing, and they still got the draw from that, then I would say, okay, there's been a bit of a shift because it's hard to retain and keep back those players. But yeah, Liverpool were just absolutely toothless and it was so painfully obvious to see and with those two they would have easily won that game.
0: Joel highlighting the issues that Liverpool face there, Mali and Salah and Mane are out until potentially the second week in February, AFCON finishes on the 6th of February, I think it is. Would you be worried if you're a Liverpool fan because there's two key players missing and then you've got on top of that you've got Covid and false positive Covid and whatever else... (laughs) Jurgen Klopp frozen to the mix over the next few weeks. <laughs> False but positive. They are, look, they do have problems without those two, without Salah and Mane. And if you get to February and they fail to pick up results between now and then, City could be home and dry by then. The way this season's going, I think City are going to be home
2: and dry regardless. To be honest, I think they they don't look like, um, they don't look like slowing up anytime soon. So, yeah, I think you know Liverpool. It it was always going to come though when it like this this season, you always knew Salah was going to go for a couple of well four or five games whatever it might be so, yeah I mean going into the second leg, I don't think like I don't think Salah not being there is is Liverpool being completely like knackered like we've got to remember yesterday they had eighty percent of the game like if you have eighty percent of the ball in any game you expect to win that game, regardless of who's on the pitch. So I think on another day, probably another seven or eight times out of 10, if you played that game against Arsenal last night and had that level of dominance, I think that you, you win that game most of those times. So you, um, you're you probably looking at that and thinking, you know, if if you just carry on doing the same, Liverpool is still a quality side. Like their philosophy is is deep, it, it does go deeper than, and their style of play, it does go deeper than just playing to Salah and Barney's strengths, but because these players don't play with each other every week, it's probably a little bit of teething problems coming into it, like Minamino isn't part of the front three every every week, and he's probably snatching at chances because he wants to take them a little bit, he, he desperately wants to take them because he wants more game time in, in the next uh, six months when Salah comes back, but it's just one of those uh, things you got to do. you got to settle down and trust the results will come. Because um, if they don't, you know, Man City have, have set such a pace that uh, that they're, they're going to be hard to catch. And you know they can keep it up over the course of
0: a season, as they have done in uh, three of the previous four seasons. I caught myself last night, Joel, moaning about the teams that were still involved in the Carabao Cup. The fact that it was... Chelsea versus Spurs in the other leg Spurs obviously going out, Chelsea going through and this was Arsenal versus Liverpool there wasn't like a minnow in the competition or a surprise left in the draw but then I remember a few seasons ago everyone was moaning that the big teams didn't take the Carabao Cup seriously and weren't putting out full teams so where are we now? Has like Manchester City's dominance in this competition almost elevated its status slightly is it now a bit of silverware that fans and managers and players want to win?
1: I'm not sure because if you look at all the history of the Carabao Cup, every single final seems to be the big teams playing each other regardless and all the way through the competition. It's not like they field the most strongest sides either. They do field pretty second string sides up until you know you get to the business end where it could mean that you do get to the final. Um, so I just think, and it's a bit of a weird one this cup because obviously after like one win in, in the competition, suddenly you're in the quarterfinals and it's a very fast-tracked, cup which although they don't take seriously at first like you say it's a trophy to put in the cabinet i mean i'm sure you as a west ham fan would take that tomorrow and i'm sure a spurs fan would take that tomorrow but it's just the case of when it does get to that business end the bigger size like manchester city who have got squad depth coming out of their ears and then you've got the likes of liverpool and chelsea who have got great depth as well when it gets to those semi-finals teams like West Ham and like Tottenham will end up falling short and that's just because they start taking it seriously all of a sudden and that's pretty much why Manchester City won it for five years on the trot and it's just because the depth is ridiculous in every single game that they play in that competition the, the, the second team is pretty much good enough to win the Premier League so I don't know how many teams can cope with that when for example in the quarter-finals City are using their second-string side against the West Ham side, who are using the fully-strength side. Still a, it's still a very tough game to actually go ahead and win. So, it's yeah, honestly, this cup's just something that I I, don't, I dislike anyway. It's just a bit of a weird one. Like I said, how everyone gets fast-tracked so quickly. But, I mean, for the clubs, who are still waiting for that years-on-decades uh, run of no silverware to end that that this is the competition for them whereas as we were discussing in the podcast yesterday you know Jurgen Klopp's only been to one semi-final in his um Liverpool career in the domestic cups so clearly he's not a, a manager who prioritizes these domestic cups over you know the big two so it's it's an issue but like i said i think the cream always just rises to the top in this competition
0: we're returning to Premier League football next with Brighton versus Crystal Palace. But if, like Marley, you have a game of five-a-side or seven-a-side that you play in regularly, then you need to get a brand new app to help you organise it. The app is called Spond, and it takes the hassle out of organising any group event, not just... Football or sporting events, it enables people to spend more time on what they want to do, what they want to focus on, which is the football or whatever sport you are playing. And the app is 100% free as well. So, with Spawn, you can organize anything. It can help you set calendar invites, invite people, send messages, and most importantly, and most importantly of all, for anyone who's ever organized any of these things, collect the money from the people who are trying to play as well in these events. So if you fancy having a go, and on average it saves the organiser of such things 2.5 hours every single week, you can find Spond just by searching that. That's S-P-O-N-D in the app store or in the play store download it onto your phone get signed up give it a go it's free it's ad free as well so you can give it a go without any risk at all and if you like it you can continue using it and save time when you're organizing your sporting events or your social events or whatever it is you're doing s-p-o-n-d find it in the app store or or find it on Google Play now and give it a go. This is Football Social Daily. We're going to be talking Brighton versus Crystal Palace next the weirdest derby of all Premier League derbies, and we'll talk it up on Football Social Daily after this.
2: Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now, so you never miss an episode.
0: Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're finishing today's podcast with a preview of Brighton Hove Albion versus Crystal Palace, which is Friday night football. They always pick the biggest, juiciest games for Friday night football, don't they? And this is just the latest one of those. It's the Seagulls versus the Eagles. Two teams that... Kind of in transition, I guess, trying to change the way they play football on the pitch. We'll talk about that shortly. But as for Brighton, Joel, a team that have picked up again. They started really strong, then they kind of fell off in the middle of the season. But they're back to winning games now. Does it feel like Graham Potter's got a grip on his Brighton team now and he is having an impact?
1: It seems like a long time ago. I don't know which game it was. I think it was a nil-nil, I can't remember the game now, but um, where he got booed off from not being able to win in like 10 games. And it seems like a huge drop-off, sorry, a huge long, it seems like a long period since that game actually took place. Obviously, they went through a very rough patch after a really strong start to the season. They were constantly hovering in that top four area and suddenly the drop-off was pretty harsh. Although now they find themselves um, losing fewer games as many uh, sorry, only three teams have lost fewer games than them, and that's the top three in the league. So it does show they have they have some resilience in that side. And when you look at the league table now, they are creeping up very very silently. They're on twenty seven points in ninth, um, and a win tonight obviously takes them just five points away from Arsenal in fifth. So it's not the it's not been a bad season for his side. Obviously, I think in those ten games, if they were to get. Just a couple of wins, convert a couple of those draws into wins, we'd be talking about a different situation for them, which could be a top four challenge potentially. But for now, I mean, they've they've been Top four? No, no, no. I mean, if they would have won a couple of those draws in the in the t- in the 10th. All right. Not now, of course. <laughs> Jim nearly
0: spat his tea out there.
1: <laughs> I nearly felt that through the mic. Brighton and I
0: Albion, top four. I mean, Jesus Christ and Joel, there's been some outrageous claims on this podcast, but...
1: West Ham United, top four. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, that sounds outrageous. <laughs> no, I mean, if, if they were able to convert a couple of those draws in those 10 games that they didn't win any, then... Potentially, they would be there and thereabouts, but obviously right now they're in a very good position and they're up against the pretty good Crystal Palace side as well, who had a very same situation of just drawing so many games and not being able to convert them into wins. But for Brighton, um, I think the biggest talisman this season has been Neil Mope, who seems to be doing shot clock type NBA uh, beat the buzzer type goals at the end and just seemingly breaking hearts of every single team that he faces so I wouldn't if you're betting on this game make sure you you do it over 90 minutes because there's bound to be a goal after after the 90th minute goes but um, yeah it'll be an interesting game to to see tonight because they've both probably been two of the more impressive sides this season especially Crystal Palace have been really impressed with like how the team's gelled under Vieira especially since You know, we had a lot of critics at the start when they had a pretty bad start to the season. Um, But yeah, Brighton have really recovered well from that really tough spot and they find themselves in a really good position now.
0: We talk about both these teams being in transition, as I said in the intro, Marley. Graham Potter's had a couple of seasons at Brighton now to turn it around. Patrick Vieira still very new in his job at Crystal Palace, but feels to be having an impact on the style of football played. How long do you give a manager when he's in? transition? Because you can forgive a certain amount of poor results when he's trying to implement a new style, but at some point you have to go, right, we're no longer in transition, we've reached where we're going to go. And then what is the objective for a team like Crystal Palace or Brighton? I mean, obviously, Joel said it's already top four for Brighton, that's where they need to be. But what can be achieved by these teams realistically? Um In terms of how long you give a manager, I, I don't know how...
2: I don't know how quickly you need to see changes, but I'd say it has to be within half a season um, in terms of taking over and, and changing the style. And I think that's what Vieira is doing, to be fair, at Crystal Palace. Um, and I think that's what Potter's done at uh, at Brighton as well. You know, they they didn't play bad football under Chris Houghton They played sort of um, quite pragmatic and, and the way they were sort of just trying to grind out results and have that bit of steel and be a bit hard to beat. Whereas... Under Potter, it's more forward thinking and and nice possession based football, and all they need is a cutting edge to to finish in the top uh, top half, as we've said m- many many times on the podcast over the last uh, couple of years, because that's the only thing that's really stopping them from progressing up the league. And we're starting to see that this season with with the good start they made, they were in in the top three or four, and after seven or eight games, and then they went on went and fell off a cliff in terms of form. Didn't win a game in in eleven, I think it was. Um, and that that kind of happens when you don't have a sort of hitman like a proper like hang your hat on this guy and he'll he'll score goals type of striker. Um, but I think Palace as well. If you on the other hand like Palace are trying to get to that point and and change the style and we're seeing sort of shoots of growth. I think under under Roy Hodgson they they were kind of similar to how Brighton were under Hughton. They were very they were right. <laughs> for one pragmatic. Yeah.
0: it's great. It's a great word to yeah,
2: describe it. Yeah, and but I mean, under Hodgson, it almost goes so far as to say boring because they were just they didn't have much sort of um, flair or creativity in that team. It was all kind of we'll batter you at set pieces and we'll we'll you know uh, make it a hard game to for you to play against. But ultimately, we're not that good a team. We haven't got someone other than Zaha who can who can go past you and, and create something. Whereas now they've got much more talent in their squad like Michael Elisa, Eberici Eze and um, odson Edward up front. Even Benteke is playing well now, he's getting better service these days. So that we're starting to see Crystal Palace come out of the shell a little bit in terms of that and you might get battered every, uh, not every week, but you might get the odd pasting by trying to play this, this new brand, but ultimately for fans and, and certainly for neutrals... You're looking at Crystal Palace and saying, "I want to watch Conor Gallagher every week. I want to watch uh, Michael Olise. I want to see uh, Edward up front." And the the players have got a much more um, likable now, and they're more they're a more team, an easier team to watch. So I think Vieira is doing a decent job, and hopefully he gets um, a a finish in his first season that doesn't have that doesn't have people going well. They finished 13th last year and they finished 13th this year. So there's been no progress because that's one of the things that winds you up about football um, and fans to to the point where they just say, "Well, you finished there that year and there that year and you know there's been no there's been no growth. Like they clearly has a Crystal Palace. They're playing better football and they're trying to be more front foot. So I hope they get a, a league position at the end of the season, which reflects that.
0: With all that praise of the football Vieira is bringing to Crystal Palace, Joel, does he need to mix it up when they're on the road like they are tonight against Brighton? Because they've been infinitely better at Selhurst Park than they have when they've played away. So does he need to introduce a more compact, more, let's use the word again, pragmatic game plan when he is playing away from home?
1: Sounding more like Jose Mourinho. I think he loved that word every time he was over here. It. Um... It's the pragmatic social daily from now on. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, like you say... They've been amazing at Selhurst. Well, relatively amazing at Selhurst Park in terms of comparing it with their away form, which has been very bad. Um, I think their last victory was away, wasn't it at Millwall in the FA Cup, and that was a really good performance from them. Um, but this is what I mean. They just they've they've had such a problem with drawing constantly. But like Marley said, they've started to obviously gain back more of the more um, talented attacking players. Obviously, Michael Elise is coming back. Um, Eze has come back after a long injury since May, and then you've got Wilfred Zaha and uh, Odson Edouard, and they've suddenly they've got a very talented attacking lineup with full of flair and creativity. So I think they have missed that in some of those games that they couldn't break the deadlock in or. Better yet, they couldn't hold the lead in some of them, especially when you when you're playing against the Neil Mopé side. So, um, I think that is is a very tough ask, though. Obviously, to go away to Brighton because, like I mentioned before, they've lost the um, only three teams. have lost fewer games in them, and that's the top three in the league. So, it's always going to be a big ask to kind of get a result against Brighton. But I think with this with with this Palace team, I think they've been probably one of the most impressive side to me outside of the obvious ones just because I think they're a team that have got so many individuals which are combining together and they've done such smart recruitment especially in terms of obviously uh, Mark Gwehi from Chelsea who there was eyebrows raised because they paid a big twenty million fee and he didn't even play a first team game and suddenly he's really making his mark in that defence and then obviously you've got Conor Gallagher um and then Eze who's really starting to make his mark a little bit more now. They've they've got a really nice cohort where under Roy Hodgson it wasn't exactly like that. They weren't a team that you would be willing to watch. They just kind of got the they got the job done to so to speak, whereas with this Vieira side it's a, it's a bit more dynamic there's a bit more going on in the side it's just if they can improve themselves defensively and not leave themselves so short towards the end of games then I think they would they'd definitely um, give themselves a better chance but in the last the last game against them they actually won at the, AM, at the Amex 2-1 and it was uh, Benteke getting on the score sheet so when you've got Benteke rolling back the years you've always got a chance.
0: They're missing Wolf-Sahar, Jordan Ayo, Czech Koyute tonight at Crystal Palace, which could be a problem for them. Brighton Hove, Albion, 27 points from 19 games. That's their highest ever points tally at this stage in the Premier League ever. So that is showing progress. And if you want to look for even more signs that this could be a Brighton Hove Albion win, Crystal Palace have never won a Premier League game playing on a Friday night. So all the signs are that Brighton Hove Albion <laughs> could love pick up stats. three points. Yeah, it's a bit <laughs> random. Isn't it? It's so pointless, are not they? It's like,
2: I, I, oh, Palace, Palace are allergic to playing on a Friday. What? How
0: many games? I've I'd I'd no idea how many games Palace have played on a Friday night, because I bet it's not many. It can't be more than yeah. like three or four, surely.
2: Yeah, it's they're always steeped in absolute bullshit, These uh, <laughs> these these stats. It's like they've never won uh, on a on a Thursday night, and it's like the last Thursday was a game in 1982
0: where <laughs> they had a you know frigging plague outbreak or something. Just, just, trying to, just trying to look at the signs, just trying to read the tea leaves. Uh, the game kicks off tonight. It's the only Friday night game. And like I say, all the Premier League games from the weekend will be previewed on our dugout show with Sol Bamba and Matt Jarvis. You can check that out. It'll be out later tonight, Friday night. You can have a listen to that and see what the boys are saying about the weekend's action. But that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Joel Marley, nice one, boys. Cheers, guys. Thank you, everyone. Have a great weekend, whatever it is you're doing. Don't forget to check the website for the latest news, sport-social.co.uk, and we'll see you soon.